I honestly believe that in our current culture, in our current setting and around the world, we're seeing the Holy Spirit kind of renew and reveal himself in a different way, in a more significant and a more supernatural and spiritual way. You know, we, we've heard messages of the Holy Spirit. I know I grew up with context of hearing messages about the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit was to some degree or another. I've heard a lot of, or read a lot of really good books about the Holy Spirit, but it hasn't been until lately that we've really seen kind of a supernatural uh, push towards this Holy Spirit and the spiritual lifestyle. And it is something that we're seeing all over the world and it's becoming more and more prevalent. See, I believe that we're coming into a very significant time in the body of church and in our personal spiritual lives and our personal lives as well. A supernatural existence, and that's what we're gonna talk about today in regard to the person of the Holy Spirit, something supernatural, something beyond the norm of everyday life, something bigger than just how we do things and how we connect as a church or how we read our Bible or how we pray and the patterns that we have something a little bit larger than that, that that is a little deeper, it's a little more spiritual. It's a little more super spiritual, spooky, I guess, if you wanna call it that way. The supernatural existence is a place where natural abilities mean very, very little. See, there's a lot of things in the supernatural that have to be done but can't be done by our natural context or in a natural way of doing things. I believe that we're also entering a time supernaturally where we'll be endowed with strength and power and position that doesn't come by any way that we could muster up on our own, that doesn't come by any natural means that we could uh, derive from. See, supernatural, the idea of the supernatural in the, spirit, in, in the scripture is the spirit of God in tandem with the grace of God. I think we sometimes make the supernatural maybe more spooky than that, that it's like ghost hunters on A&E, you know, that's the supernatural. They have some kind of weird tachometer or they're trying to see if there's a spirit in the room or not. That's really not what the supernatural is in regard to scripture. The supernatural is the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God at work in our life in tandem with the grace of God. The Holy Spirit is mentioned as the spirit of grace in Hebrews chapter 10, and verse two, and that same spirit of grace, the Bible says, guides us into all truth in John chapter 16 and verse 13. So we have a, a kind of a ground floor set, spirit of God, grace of God, working in tandem, moving in our life, motivating us, prompting us, guiding us, and then we come to scriptures like Zechariah chapter four and verse six, and it says this, then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Now, we've all heard this scripture. I think we, some of us are familiar with the backstory to some degree. Some of us, if we grew up in a Christian home, you know, the moment you got down or the moment you felt defeated, maybe you had that good, solid Christian parent saying, no, it's not by your strength. It's not by your power, it's by the Spirit of God. And there is this admonishment in Scripture that all we do is not by our own strength, it's not by our own power, that it is by the motivation and the Spirit of God. And that's kind of what we're gonna talk about today. See, religion, our current context of religion, has morphed to the extent that we think we can gain access to God's kingdom by our own power, by our own works, by our own hands. 
We assume that it's by our own might many, many times. We assume that I've prayed enough, I've given enough, I've done enough stuff, I've done enough good deeds, so I have access to God and to his Holy Spirit. We assume it's by our education. I know a lot about God, I've read the Bible. I'm really good at those Greek and Hebrew word studies. I know the Holy Spirit. I've read this book by this author about the Holy Spirit, so I know who he is. And we think that that somehow gains access to the presence, to the spirit, to the supernatural. We assume that our experiences give us access, right? I've come to church a lot. I've come to church consistently. I've been a part of a body of believers. My experience gains me access to the Holy Spirit, to his power, to his presence. Sometimes we assume that there's something natural that we can do, something we can do in our own power that gains us access to the Holy Spirit. That actually is the reason for our transformation. That it's not from God and it's not heaven sent, that it's by way of natural means that we are transformed, that there's something that transpires in our life that changes us from the inside out, that redemption happens or the success in our spiritual life happens because of something we've done. And nothing could be further from the truth. To truly live a life led in the Holy Spirit is to know that there's nothing I could do in my own strength, in my own power, nothing I could do at all that would force my position before God to be gifted of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing I can do in my own strength that says, God, I've done enough, so now you better empower me. I've done enough, so now you better show up strong with your spirit. There's nothing in scripture that tells us that we can have that attitude, yet there's a total reliance on the spirit. We need to be people who are very aware of our lack. We need to be people who are very aware of our shortcomings. We need to be people who know where we stop and he begins. See, the motivation of the Holy Spirit is to say that nothing that I've done in my own is done by my own power or by my own strength or by my own will. That everything that I'm motivated to do comes by way of the ministering power of the Holy Spirit. Again, as we read in Zechariah, not by power, not by strength, but by my might, says the Lord. It's not a spooky thing to be motivated of the Holy Spirit. It's not ghostly or weird. The Holy Spirit isn't Casper the friendly ghost that we meet on our spiritual journey and that he somehow guides us as like a talisman or some kind of weird spiritual event. The Holy Spirit is a person. Excuse me. This uh, weather change, I don't know about you guys, but every, and I hate to say this, but because Jim tells me it's gonna happen because you say it happens every year, but it happens around this time sometimes, not every year. I'm not gonna say that anymore. I'm gonna knock that down. Ah, man, he's got me convicted now. The Holy Spirit, he's right back there too. He's looking at me. I see those little eyes like, don't you say it. And I did it anyway. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The third person of the Trinity. So who is he? It's part of that tripart God that we serve. A God that's in three distinct parts, but worshiped as one. He's not a thing, he's not something weird, he's not something ethereal that we can't grab a hold of or that we can't commune with or that we can't connect with, but the Holy Spirit is a person, he is God, he is God functioning as Holy Spirit. We're good mostly with the Trinity to an extent. God the Father, we get it. 
God the Son, we've heard of him. God the Holy Spirit, now there's something that's a little different. Because God the Holy Spirit is a personal God. He's a God that says, I want to affect your life on a personal level. God the Holy Spirit is very interested in personal communication and connection. He's very interested in our life, in our everyday life. God the, God the Son, we kind of get. Jesus, the baby Jesus, wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. We get the idea, the iconic figure, Jesus hung on a cross, nail-pierced hands, nail-pierced feet, the, 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 the scar, the, the, the spear in his side. We get the picture of Jesus the Son. Sometimes we struggle with, but many times we get the idea of God, I'm sorry, God the Son, and then God the Father, that there's a Yahweh God or the big God or the God that's in charge. And sometimes we get it because it mirrors ideas like Zeus, that he's the God of gods, yet they're equally God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are equal. And sometimes we mess up the idea of God the Father and we think he's above the other two, but we get that he's part of the Trinity. We get this because we sing songs like you're a good, good father and we're speaking of Father God. But when it comes to the person, God functioning as the Holy Spirit, here's where we lose some folks. You start talking about the Holy Ghost, you start talking a language referring to the Holy Spirit and you start to freak some people out. Now they're okay with this generic idea that God is a spirit and obviously if he's God, he's holy, so there's a Holy Spirit, but start talking about the effects of a Holy Spirit or a Holy Ghost in their everyday life, that's where things get a little crazy where things get a little weird. Here's where things get complicated because the person of the Holy Spirit, the functioning God of the Holy Spirit means to actually be involved in your personal life, in your personal stuff. The Holy Spirit is to lead through your mind and through your body. He is to lead and guide and direct your life in a real tangible way. He, you're to feel him, you're to understand his presence, you're to be motivated by his presence, by his power and his purpose in your life. The Holy Spirit, again, is not Casper the friendly ghost, he's God, he is God, functioning as God the Holy Spirit. The importance of the Holy Spirit has not been talked about enough, I believe, in church. I think we've taken our time and our liberty to talk a lot about God the Father and God the Son, but when it comes down to the practical outworkings of God the Holy Spirit at work in our life, most of the time, the church has fallen short, especially in recent history. See, there used to be the old school church, and not just Pentecostalism, but much of the old school church talked about their reliance on the Holy Spirit. There were poems written, there were sermons given, there were so many books written on this idea that we would be totally reliant on the person of the Holy Spirit, that no decision that we make in this life would be ours only, but it would be made at the guidance of the Holy Spirit that all that we do in this life wouldn't be motivated by our own efforts, but it would be motivated by the Holy Spirit. Some of you are old enough to remember the old school Pentecostal preachers just slamming the pulpit and talking at length and almost at nauseum about the person of the Holy Spirit, but there was, there was a passion. There was a drawing of the heart that said there was a God who wants to be personal, personal with every human 
every human on planet Earth, and that if we would tap into it, that he would connect with us at a deep, at a deep level. Religious traditions have agreed that the concept of Jesus Christ becomes the centerpiece, and that's true. We need to know the person of Jesus, his sacrifice and what he's done. And some and most religious traditions have left it at that, that that's enough. And I'm here today to say that's not enough. At the risk of sounding like an old school Pentecostal preacher, that's not enough. It's not enough to come into the family of God and to get familiar with the idea of God the Father, to know the person of Christ, to submit ourselves to his lordship, and then back up and say, I'm good. That's as far as it goes. There's still someone else that we're supposed to be in fellowship with. There's still someone else that we're supposed to be in communion with. There's still someone else on the docket that we can't forget about, and it is the Holy Spirit of God. Luke chapter 24 in verse 49, it says, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endowed with power from on high. These are the words of Jesus. So this is God the Son in human form. This is after his death, burial, and resurrection. He's looking at his disciples and his followers, and he's, he's literally telling them there's something more to come. Now you have to put your shoes, or yourself in the shoes of the, of the modern day, or of that, that first century, I'm sorry, believer, and their, their first experience would have been just grandiose, right? It would have been huge. It would have been something to talk about. This person that we're following that we believe was the Messiah, this teacher who's been teaching us for three years has now been crucified. He was dead. I saw him on the cross. I saw the Roman guards kill him. They poked a spear into his side just to make sure they finished the job. He was dead. And then we had a burial service for him. We wrapped him in grave clothes and we threw him in a tomb, in a borrowed tomb, no less. And then we heard the announcement that the angel had kicked open the door and that the body was no longer there. And the women came and ran to us and said, our savior, our Jesus is risen. And you would have thought that would have been enough of a message to go tell the world, to spread from one shore to the next, that that would have been a big enough miracle to just run with and start the church from that point. But Jesus said, hold on a minute. And not only that, they're seeing Jesus, the resurrected Lord in physical form. And he says, you thought this story was concluded with my resurrection. You thought this story was concluded with the idea that God came, sent his son, human flesh to eradicate your sin. Oh, that's just the beginning. Wait till you meet this guy. And we've lost what it is, the passion that we should have for the person of the Holy Spirit when Jesus himself said, wait. At the biggest, one of the biggest miracles that men would ever see, the redemption of humanity, past, present, and future, through the sacrifice of Jesus, the resurrection of his earthly body, the fact that men would literally come up to him and poke their hands in the scar, their, their fingers in the scars in his hands, and he says, you haven't seen anything yet. Wait in Jerusalem until this power comes upon you, this promise of my Father Jesus gives this last instruction, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise, until you are endued with power, clothed with power, clothed with the Holy Spirit. Wait here in Jerusalem until the power that God's promised you has come upon you. Jesus' direct commandment, don't leave Jerusalem until you're fully dressed 
with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter one and verse four and five, it's reiterated, uh, gathering together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me, John baptized in water, but I will baptize or but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And again, at the risk of sounding like an old school Pentecostal preacher, that's what we need in our culture. That's what churches are missing. That's what individuals are missing in their everyday spiritual life. That's why when you study the Bible and it feels like it's not working, that's why when you pray and you feel like you can't touch heaven, that's why when you give and nothing changes financially, that's why it's not working. We fail to say, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? We failed to challenge the status quo. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Last week I made the announcement that you can preach a really good sermon. You can have a hot band. You can do church as we know how to do church. You can do church as a commodity and people will flood the doors and it doesn't mean that God's presence is near, but you can't operate in the supernatural, in the supernatural lifestyle we're called to without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. This isn't something quirky, it isn't something weird. It's just a fact of our Christian lifestyle that God opens up the potential to so much more. Jesus' followers were told not to leave until they had received the promise. Quick change of pace. In Matthew, or well, before we get to Matthew chapter four, Matthew chapter three, verse 16 and verse 17, and this is something we referenced last week in regard to Jesus. And it says, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately out of the water and behold, the heavens were open. Or as we said last week, the heavens were torn open. They were rent open. It's almost words of uh, talking about how instantly God needed to, to dispense his power on his son. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and laying on him and behold, a voice came from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is the moment where Jesus baptized in water by his cousin, but comes up and God baptizes him with the Holy Spirit. And what happens? What happens directly in that moment? We see, if you're reading the story, Mark, or Matthew, I'm sorry, chapter four and verse one, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And this is why we don't preach on the Holy Spirit and baptism of the Holy Spirit much anymore. This is why we shy away from this topic because of the, the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our life. We have assumed for too long that the purpose of the Holy Spirit was so you could prophesy or that the purpose of the Holy Spirit was so you could do a miracle or the purpose of the Holy Spirit was so you could show off with a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. And here we see in the life of Christ, the primary reason the Holy Spirit enters the life of Christ is to help him, change him, mold him into what he needs to be. He is led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. He is led into the process. The process. As we read before, the early church was gathered in an upper room and Jesus told them, do not go until you receive the power. Do not go until you're clothed in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Don't go until you've been baptized in this Holy Spirit. And then as soon as they go, what do we see? The early church starts to form and in, as soon as it gets off the ground, it is starting to be persecuted. Men are being imprisoned. Men and women are being killed. 
Men and women are being fed to the lions. Men and women are being used like torches and their bodies lit on fire. This is the early church. And out of the early church comes prophecy, healing, miracles, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, all motivated by the Holy Spirit. But part of the process in Jesus's life, the Holy Spirit comes on him. He's immediately, immediately led of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Most of us hear this story, it's like, come on, pastor, it's supposed to be fun, it's the Holy Ghost. This is supposed to be old school, random, raving, where are we gonna run the aisles, wait a minute. The Holy Spirit is, is not impressed, not impressed with our outward displays of emotion. Sometimes they come and they're important. The Holy Spirit is impressed with you falling in love with the process. In this culture and in our country, we have fallen in love with the idea of greatness. Oh my gosh, we wanna be great, we wanna have the greatest team, we wanna have the greatest this, the greatest that, we want the greatest job, we want the greatest house, we want the great, 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 and great is a word thrown around so often, we forget that there's a process to becoming great. And we have come to a place where we fail in the process, so greatness never happens. And the point of the process is that greatness is not an attainable goal, that you are supposed to fall in love with the process. The person of the Holy Spirit is the motivating factor in order for you to sustain the process. Just as Jesus went through the process so that he could ultimately be strengthened enough in his inner core, in his man, in, in his inner man to actually withstand the cross, and just like the early church was strengthened of the Holy Spirit so that that church could spread like wildfire across the known world, they were all part of a process, motivated and led by the Holy Spirit. We have lost sight of that. We have lost sight of the idea that the Holy Spirit's motivation is the process in our life. Because of the process, you will prophesy. Because of the process, you will see healings. Because of the process, you will do the supernatural. But you cannot void the process that the Holy Spirit is moving in your life. You cannot void the process that the Holy Spirit has called you to. And I hated this the first time someone told me that. In fact, I was just on um, Facebook this last week and one of the professors that showed up in my life and said I was young and dumb and needed to go through the process, uh, he commented on a couple things that I had posted and it reminded me of some of the conversations we had and I forgot about this in the first service, but it reminded me of some of the conversations we had where he sat me down and I said, no, no, I serve a God who's victorious and I serve a God who's, who's already won the battle. And he said, all those things are true, but you don't really believe them because you haven't gone through anything. I said, the devil is a liar. I believe every word of it. I don't have to go through anything to, he goes, you will. You will, you'll figure it out. You will go through some things and then your faith and then the process in your life will be tested. What will you do? Will you yield to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit or will you come into a supernatural endeavor and think you can do it on your own? And most of us, because we just haven't developed or grown in it enough, we think we can do it on our own. Understand this about Jesus, when he was led into the, to the wilderness to be tempted, he was 30 years old. 30 years old. Up until this point, we don't see a marker, we don't see any evidence that he's done anything supernatural. Nothing in scripture is recorded that he's done anything supernatural. And then all of a sudden, he's baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes on him like a dove. It engulfs him, it, it empowers him. 
It endows him with power. He goes off into the wilderness, starts the process. Then the miracles happen. We get to a, a point in our culture uh, where we've talked up church enough, and especially those that believe in some of the charismatic gifts, that we've talked up church enough, and we've said, you know, no, skip the process, don't worry about that. Just go do the miraculous. Just, just go, you, you are led of the Holy Spirit. Just go do the miraculous. You can't void the process because the moment you void the process, you'll be wondering, shaking in your boots, knees knocking, is the Holy Spirit with me? Is God speaking through me? Is this really the motivation of the Holy Spirit or is this just the pizza I had last night? See, the problem is when you don't know how to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit, when you don't know how to discern where God is calling you to or motivating you towards, that's because the process was cut short somewhere. That's because you didn't learn enough in the process to know without a doubt that's him. See, at this point in my life, I'm not perfect, but at this point in my life, I know the voice of the Holy Spirit much more than I did when I was young. In fact, I forgot about telling this and it's in my notes last service too. I was, uh, had an opportunity to go on a missions trip to Ireland when I was 17 years old and I thought it was just like half vacation and you know, we'll talk to, talk to a couple people about Jesus. You know? I had no idea what Ireland was. I didn't even know the history of Ireland. And we walk upon this big IRA parade and the Irish uh, IRA, Irish Republican Army, right? Something like that, yeah. And, and I had no idea who they were. And I'm taking a few pictures and they're like, yeah, don't do that. I'm like, okay, so I put my camera down. And I start talking to this guy with a gun on his shoulder and I grew up around firearms so I didn't think anything of it. I start talking to this guy with his uh, firearm on his shoulder and we start talking about Jesus. And I had no idea his religious background. He's like nodding his head, I'm like, Okay, well, what are you guys marching for? He said, well, some of our brothers in the IRA have fallen and we're marching in their memory. And I said the dumbest thing you could say to an IRA person. I said, I hope they knew Jesus. And that gun slowly made its way up and started pointing at me. He said, what do you mean by that? I went, huh? And the person with me went, they're Catholic. And it's like a war between Catholics and Protestants. You said the dumbest thing you could possibly say. Like, you wanna get shot, that's a way to do it. And I thought, well, the Holy Spirit's just supposed to get you out of stuff like that. And later on, I was reminded, that's a good way to be found in a ditch. We forget that the process is what matures us. We forget that the process is what grows us. No doubt the Holy Spirit motivated me. No doubt the Holy Spirit motivated, motivated me to that moment. No doubt he was speaking and whispering into my, my, my heart and my ear the right words to say. Yet because I was young and dumb, I thought, well, I know how this works. I'm gonna get you saved, hallelujah. And not understanding at all the geopolitical issues that came with that encounter because I was young and dumb and unqualified and unprepared. We all come to these moments where we face challenges of life in the process, where the Holy Spirit is moving and talking and motivating our heart. But are we willing to learn his voice not just be reliant on his voice. See, what happens is the Holy Spirit comes to a place where he has to shout so loudly, he has to scream so strongly into our heart and into our life because we're blind to his voice and one trouble and one trial comes after another and we go, God, where are you? And he says, I've been here the whole time, learn to hear my voice, I'm trying to mature you and we think God can't be in this because it's hard. Yet look at the life of Jesus, there's no doubt it was difficult. God led him, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness and I've been there, I've stood on those hilltops 
and I've seen the desert and the desolate plains and I've, I've seen where Jesus walked through. And there's no doubt that in the middle of the day when that sun's beating down on you and there's no shade and there's nothing but sand and a little bit of brush, there's no doubt that you could feel alone and that you could feel as, this, as though this wilderness is vast and that there is no hope and no help. And I'm sure that's how Jesus felt. And then he was tempted. But he was tempted, empowered of the Holy Spirit, in tune with the voice of God, and he responded quickly to the devil's accusations. In our lives, are we attuned enough in the process to hear the voice of God, to be, to be motivated, to shout back to our temptation. No, 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 no. This is what God's called me to. Oftentimes we're tempted to say things that, and call it the Holy Spirit that were never intended of God. I had a young man come into my office once and say, you know, pastor, God told me to quit working. He said, just rely on him. I said, well, the Bible says you don't work, you don't eat. So you're gonna starve. And he didn't like that answer at all. He said, well, that's the Holy Spirit. He told me to just quit work. And I said, no, he didn't. He's not gonna violate scripture. If we wanna know how the Holy Spirit's speaking to our life, first go to scripture, then learn to hear in your heart, then learn to hear in your spirit, then learn to hear as he whispers. And he does whisper. Directly after receiving of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was led and tempted. Sometimes I wonder if we would be honest enough with ourselves to know that if the first thing after being filled with the Holy Spirit, we were led and tempted, many of us would go, what happened to this experience? That's not what I signed up for. That's not what I expected at all. I expected this to be easy. I expected to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and like be this fire walking, tongue talking kind of a guy. And what, what happened? Why is it hard? Because it's a process. He is proving himself in the process. See, we have come to a point again in our culture where we want God, when we want the battle, to be easy. We want the struggle and the war to be easy. We don't want God to make us stronger. We want God to make the battle softer. And, I've, and I can't stress this any stronger that in scripture, that's not what happens. He empowers you to grow, to develop, to mature, to be stronger. You can be stronger than you are today through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, through the baptizing of the Holy Spirit. To be real, I don't think many of us would choose that path that Jesus went on or the early church went on when they first experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit knows exactly the path that you need to take for your development even if that path means total reliance on him. He knows the path. He's not, a, he's, not, he's not wondering what path you should take. He's not hoping you choose correctly. He knows the exact path for your life. He knows exactly what it needs to look like. And that Holy Spirit may guide you somewhere where it looks bad to everybody else on the outside. You might feel like you're in the wilderness. You're called of God, you're saved, you've been water baptized. The Holy Spirit has empowered you and you may feel like you are set up for failure and to everyone else around you, it looks bad. But that's the process. That's the placement where you're developing and growing and maturing. 
I don't know of any great religious leader, Bible story or otherwise, who didn't face times where it looked dire and it looked like they were going under and it looked like there was no hope, but the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit. In our lives, we need to be honest enough with ourselves to know when the battle is raging and it's hard, is this a moment for you to grow, to be stronger, to be empowered of the Holy Spirit for that strength and fortitude that he offers to be realized or is this a moment to shrink back or is this a moment to fall back and to say, God, I, I don't want this struggle anymore? No, the reality is we need to be strong enough in our endeavors, strong enough in our pursuits, strong enough in his presence that we are willing to scale any wall, that we are willing to win any war, that we are willing to go through the battle. And sometimes it's hard and sometimes the fatigue takes over, but it's the maturing process of the Holy Spirit. It's not always. But when we're led of God, we know what it is. To others, it might look incredibly bad. To others, it might look like you just, you're, you're not gonna survive it. Others might look at your situation and think you're crazy. What are you doing? In fact, in our life and Lori and I's life, this is exactly what it looked like. I remember calling my parents and telling them that we were leaving a church that we were serving that on any given Sunday was 7,500 or 9,000 9, people in Louisville, Kentucky. We had a great job. God set us up, wonderful church, all kinds of ministry outlets, television programming, television station, schools, uh, all kinds of different things to do in that church. And we could have developed and grown into any one of those positions. And I remember distinctly that we were feeling motivated of God that this wasn't for us anymore. It was a great church. But we just weren't feeling it. We just felt like, man, maybe there's something more. Maybe there's something different. And on the outside, it looked absolutely stupid. Give up a steady paycheck, give up benefits, give up a church that is just moving and growing. At that year, it was one of the fastest growing churches in the country. Why would you leave a station like that? Why would you leave a church like that? God motivated us and called us, and it looked stupid. We only had, we had enough money saved in the bank, but not enough for very long. But we knew God had said, you need to move on. You need to go do something different. And I remember that sinking feeling in my gut of, oh, good Lord, what am I gonna, how am I gonna say this to Lori? And she came almost with the same words and said, I, I think it's time for us to look for something else. And in a short amount of time, two weeks, we were moved from Louisville, Kentucky to New Orleans. We had a job, we didn't miss a paycheck. We had moved in a, an entire apartment full of crap and two dogs all the way down south. The day before we were leaving, we went to see a movie. We walk out of the movie and the back glass in our car had been shattered, knocked out. We don't know if it was on purpose or not, but totally shattered, totally knocked out. I vacuumed it all out. I put a big tarp in the back window and we drove down to New Orleans like a bunch of hillbillies. Because <laughs> we believed God. Because we believed what he said. Now, there was a thought in the back of our mind that when it got that hard and it was that difficult, the back glass was broken out. And we're wondering, are we making the right move? In fact, I forgot this in the first service too. Our dog got sick. Who never, she never, I never see a dog sick. She literally got like the sniffles and was coughing and snotting all over the back of the car. Back window broken out. It looked ridiculous on paper. It looked ridiculous in a real sense. What are you doing? You're leaving a great position. 
You're leaving, you're leaving stability. You're leaving a paycheck. You're leaving a semblance of a life that you were developing together as a new couple. Your back glass just got broken out. Doesn't God have, does he have to speak anymore? That's obviously a sign, right? But it wasn't. It was the challenge. It was the struggle. It was the purification process. It was the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to empower us, to embolden us, that regardless of what we face, we know when God called us, nothing's gonna stop us. And in your life, you'll have the same opportunity to be challenged that when the Holy Spirit has given you power, when, he has, when you have been baptized in his presence, when his presence overflows you and floods your life and you are receiving power of the Holy Spirit, presence of God, the grace of God in tandem with his presence endowed in your life, you will know that you can stand to any challenge in any battle. You might look at that battle at first with your knees knocking, but tap in deep to the presence of God on the inside of you. Tap in deep to that spirit that the Bible says was the same spirit that even quickened the, the dead body of Jesus, that it will quicken our body, that it will raise us up in our moments of despair. No one can do life alone and no man is an island. Thomas Merton once penned these words that no man is an island. They're beautiful words in his reflection of how we are interconnected but at the corner piece of his study, he did say we can't void this life of the Holy Spirit. His first endeavor was to say that you get in contact in close quarters with, in baptized with the Holy Spirit. He didn't use those exact words, but the connotation was the same, that we would know the Holy Spirit so intimately that we could call ourselves clothed or baptized in his presence. And then we can do life together with other people. And then we can connect with others, but not in until, not until we come to that place we are totally reliant on the Holy Spirit. No man is an island. You can't do it by yourself. You can't sequester yourself off into a corner and think this is all gonna work out and that you can, you can, you can gradually get through life under your own power and your own merit. It won't work out, it won't happen. You will eventually fall. You will eventually be crushed by the weight. The reality is you need people but you need people who are filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit around you. I said before, and as I was starting the message, uh, that the church has lost sight of the importance of the person of the Holy Spirit. And we have, we don't, we don't give calls for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit anymore. In fact, even some of the most, well, what used to be charismatic churches have said that's a faux pas, we don't do that. We do it differently. We don't even really refer to the Holy Spirit that way. We're spirit-led and that's about the most we'll say. Let me explain something. Until we get back to that old context of being empowered, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, we're gonna lose out on a lot of battles. We're gonna lean on government and act like they should be our answer. We're gonna tie too closely to a political party and act like that's gonna make the difference. We're gonna think that we're, when, when our issues get voted on, that yeah, now we're winning the battle. Let me tell you something, that can, get over, that can get overturned and change so quickly. If you think that's where your station of rightness or strength comes from, just wait till the next election and something could change. The problem is we've sold our soul to systems and acted like that will bring about the presence of the Holy Spirit and it never will, it can't. 
Good church systems can't bring the presence of the Holy Spirit. Good visitor retention systems can't bring the presence of the Holy Spirit. Good political systems can't bring the presence of God. We have to come back to a place where we are reliant as individuals on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that we are endowed with power from the Holy Spirit, that everyone who walks in this room understands this is a spirit-filled, spirit-led church, that we do what God says to do before anything else, that we endeavor to hear his voice above anything else, that though it might be a good idea, it could be passed up because it's not a God idea, that we know that in this church, when you come and pray with someone, they're endowed of the Holy Spirit. They're empowered of the Holy Spirit. They're not speaking on their own behalf. They're not speaking just to hear themselves talk. They're doing it because the Holy Spirit has motivated and guided them into this. We need to come to a place where we understand that life void of the strict presence of the Holy Spirit is no life at all. There's no life at all. And if this is the first time you've heard kind of a goofy, ethereal idea of this person of the Holy Spirit, or maybe you grew up in a church and you never really experienced him in a personal way. You experienced Jesus, he came into your heart. You experienced the love of Father God because you feel the warmth of his embrace but you haven't experienced the supernatural endowment of power of the Holy Spirit, well, there's people here who can pray with you, believe with you, connect with you, so that you can experience God at that level. You shouldn't go another day without knowing him at that level, that he wants to affect your life to that degree. In fact, at the end of service, just down this hallway, there's two doors there. The second door on the left is our prayer and care room. After service, there will be folks in there ready to pray with you. If you tell them, listen, I wanna be baptized in the Holy Spirit, they'll pray with you. Maybe it's your first time, your 10th time. Maybe you feel that the, the powers just kind of wore off because you're not in constant connection and communication with him. Maybe you feel that you're just not empowered like you used to be. That's the room to go to. Maybe you've never felt that connection before in your life. After service, when we close out service, you need to go in there and talk with those folks. They'll pray with you, they'll lay hands on you. You might feel something supernatural. You might get some kind of emotional feeling or outburst. You might feel heavy and weighted and you need to sit down. You might feel something of substance and you might feel nothing at all. The presence of God is there regardless. He's empowering you regardless of what you feel. In my own experience, when I was a young boy, I was at a summer camp and I was sitting on a swing and a preacher uh, just fiery guy, just one of those old school Pentecostal guys, super fiery, had just gotten done preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I remember thinking at 10 years old, I need, I don't know what this is, but I need it. I need it. This guy's like screaming at me that I need the Holy Spirit. And I remember sitting on this swing and by myself, no one around, no one prayed for me, no one laid hands on me. And I said, God, if this is you, I want it. If it's not, I'm past, but if this is you, I want it. And at 10 years old, I felt the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit come on my life. I remember being younger and thinking thoughts like David thought, God, don't ever take your spirit from me. Then I got older, I got more, more intelligent, I read more books, the intellect started to raise and I realized, well, Christians can't be all, they can't be all supernatural and emotional. There's gotta be some logic to our arguments and to our discussion. 
We've got to have a, a good set way of doing everything that we do because God's a God of order, right? And in doing that in our lives at times, we push out his presence because he's a gentleman and he whispers and he speaks softly. Sometimes we push out the presence of the Holy Spirit for something programmatic rather than his presence and his prophetic nature. Sometimes we push out the presence and feel of the Holy Spirit because we're afraid of how to make us look. We need to come to a place in our pursuit of God that it doesn't matter how it looks. It doesn't matter how crazy it makes you look. It doesn't matter if you seem like a babbling idiot because God's presence is much more costly than your vain, well, than sometimes our vain superstitions. God, I hope it works out. God, I hope it works. God, God, I, I hope I don't look foolish. God, I hope this, I hope that. And, and what if this happens? And what if that? And it becomes superstitious folklore that says the Holy Spirit's gonna grip you and change you and shake you in a way that doesn't, 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 it doesn't jive with your everyday life. That's not true. The Holy Spirit wants to affect your life and empower you to such a degree that you can fight any battle, that you can win, that you can overcome any obstacle. And if he does that and it, and it changes and shakes you to your core and to your emotional core, that's okay. He's not, gonna, he's not gonna embarrass you. But sometimes we get so programmatic that we kick that part of God out of our life. And the whole point of the series is for us to come to a place where we recognize we need his presence. We need his infilling. We need to be baptized with his presence. We need to be like David again and say, God, don't ever take your spirit from me. So this morning, if you need to feel that presence of the Holy Spirit again, if you need to feel it in your life deeply and passionately, if you need to feel the infilling, that room when we get done is where you need to go. Let those folks pray with you and lay hands on you. And I guarantee you, something in your life will change. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit will be real and evident.